Alright, why don't we begin with the word of prayer. Let's ask God to bless us in a very special way to pour out His Holy Spirit here today. Father in heaven, thank you again for the beautiful Sabbath, for just the warmth of your presence, Lord. Thank you for this time that we can fellowship with one another, but with you especially. Thank you for all the friends and visitors and guests that are here. Jesus, we just pray that heaven would be opened up to us this morning. Thank you for hearing our prayer. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. My name is Pastor Anel Kanda. I'm glad that you guys are here today. If this is your first time here, uh, we invite you to make this church your home. Um, If you are just a visitor passing through, either way, we consider you family. Today's sermon is called An Inconvenient Calling. You know, when you look out on the bullet, or actually on the... um, The sign out there, it says 70, but there was just a a change over the last few days. The Spirit of the Lord was really leading in this direction. So make sure you have your Bibles. There's some Bibles right in front of you. Um, This is going to be a time we get into the Bible, the Word of God. Now, the beautiful Sabbath is a blessing to each and every one of us. Amen? Amen. And uh, the Sabbath day is not just a time for us just to simply set aside certain things and for us to do certain things. God is also calling for us to have a certain attitude on the Sabbath. The Bible says in Isaiah 58 that the Sabbath is supposed to be a time where we're not seeking our own ways, our own pleasures. That does not mean that there should be no way we should seek or no pleasure we should have. In fact, the Bible is telling us in in implication that we should be seeking God's way and God's pleasure. Amen? And God's word. And the Bible says, then you will delight yourself in the Lord. The Sabbath is about relationship. And God wants to bless us. You know... Um, once in a while when there's like nothing going on Sabbath afternoon, there's no outreach, uh, there's no kind of um, evangelistic project happening, once in a while, I'll I'll pull out a, a Bible movie. And it's so interesting because I'll pull out this Bible movie and then I will spend the whole time critiquing the Bible movie and I'll ask myself at the end of the time, why did I even watch this? And then I tell myself, this will make a good sermon illustration. And, uh, you know, it's interesting. When you look at a lot of these new Hollywood eyes, I wasn't watching the, the Hollywood eyes Bible movies, but the old school where you had like, um, the, some of the old actors that were part of these Bible movies where they still had an intermission part of that film. And, uh, uh one night I was, I just could not get to any, I couldn't get to any sleep. And so I was just thinking to myself, you know what, I I need to just try to watch something. Maybe I'll just fall asleep. I read my Bible, I just could not sleep anymore. And so I was like, I'm going to be preaching about Joshua. I'll try to look for something about Joshua. There's no movie about Joshua. But there was something that was made about just Jericho, which included Joshua. So I was like, oh, a 1960s movie about Jericho. So I was watching it, and it was so boring. So I fast-forwarded to the middle... And there was this really weird scene. Joshua is talking to some of his men right before they go out to the battle of Jericho. And all of a sudden he walks off in frustration. He goes towards this altar that was built to God. And he starts screaming and he says these words. He's like, God, give me Jericho or these people are going to kill me. And I thought to myself, that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen. It's not even in the Bible. There's nothing close to that in the Bible. Now pay attention. I'm making a point here. 
And so, for illustration's sake, I looked at another movie last night for this very sermon. And I was thinking to myself, I wonder if there's any movie on Noah. Okay? Come to find out, there's a lot of bad movies about Noah. Right? But I was like, okay, I don't want any kind of Russell Crowe here. You know, we're going to be looking for something else. Okay? So, apparently, there was this movie that was made... I don't know, I think it was about a year or two, and it was made in the UK about Noah. And I thought, okay, maybe, maybe the British will get this right. No, they did not. Because what happens halfway in the movie, Noah goes out to one of the cities of the wicked, and he ends up knocking out one of the unrighteous. And I thought to myself, I don't, I don't remember reading that in Genesis chapter 6. And the reason I'm bringing this up is because there's an important point that needs to be illustrated. One of the reasons why when you look at these Hollywoodized versions of the scriptures, why they are vastly different from the Bible. Why there is such this uh, a delineation from what the scriptures are teaching and what Hollywood is portraying is because of this one fact. And it's not because, okay, just all the wickedness and the evil intent of Hollywood, although that may be present. The real reason is this, is because biblical faith cannot be counterfeited. You can't act out biblical faith. You can't have Brad Pitt come in. You can't have CGI help you with this. Ladies and gentlemen, when you look at the Bible, what you are seeing is people who had a very distinct, individualized faith with God that could not be copied. And so what we're going to be doing today is we're going to be looking at the book of Joshua. Joshua chapter 1. Everybody take your Bible. Let's go there today. And we're going to be looking at Joshua chapter 1. Today's going to be a time where we're going to be digging into Joshua chapter 1. Joshua is the sixth book of the Bible. Joshua chapter 1. Please say amen if you're there. Normally I like to walk down, but there's this beautiful barrier that's here. We will stay up here. Okay. Joshua chapter 1. Are we all there? All right. Let's start with the very first verse because there's so much that is packed into this very first verse. Joshua chapter 1 verse 1. Notice how it begins. After the death of who? Let's just stop right there, okay? After the death of who? Now, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to ask you guys a question right now. Who was Moses in relationship to the people of God? He was a leader. What else? He was a prophet. Okay, what else? He what? He was a kind of Christ. What else? He was a leader. Okay, instead of labels, tell me what he actually did in relationship to the people of God. Okay, somebody just said it. He led them out of Egypt. Okay, just think about it. This was the guy that was able, through the power of God, free Israel from Egyptian slavery. What else did Moses do? Just raise your hand. Yes. He was a mediator, right? When God was ready just to, you know, put the smack down on Israel, Moses interceded, right? Under the Spirit of God as well. What else? The Lake Millie? Did you say Lake Millie? Okay, good. <laughs> By the way, Millie is one of our favorite matriarchs in our church. Amen? That woman will study the Bible with you if you need to be uh, studied with. <laughs> All right, what else did Moses do? Somebody please tell me. 
So that's all you know about Moses. Okay, but what did he actually do? Carmen Mendoza, why don't you tell us what he did? That's right. He was given the law of God, okay? Now, this is very important, okay? I want you to think about Moses. This is very important. Just the very first verse of Joshua, okay? It starts off with the death of a man who led the people of God out of Egypt. The one who God used to destroy and flatten Egypt pretty much. This was the guy who interceded for Israel. This was the guy who was with, with them in the desert for 40 years with all their nonsense. He received the law of God. And at the most inconvenient moment, he dies. Here they are, they had been walking with Moses. Many of the descendants of those who passed away during the 40 years of wandering had come to rely upon Moses. In fact, when you look at the book of Numbers, you begin to realize that many of the children of Israel, the descendants, begin not to fall or mimic some of the, the, you can say, problem issues of the previous generation. This generation that was coming out of the wilderness was more faithful and they had learned to rely and listen to the counsel of Moses. And at the time, they were all ready to go into the Holy Land. Do you know what happens at the Jordan River? He dies. Notice how the scripture begins. After the death of Moses. Ladies and gentlemen, when you look at many of the books of the Bible, they oftentimes begin with a tragedy. But God still has a strategy. Amen? God can still bring good out of this. And so the scriptures start off with this tenor, this theme, that there's this tragedy, there's this problem. Read the book of Ruth. Read the book of Exodus. It starts with a very big problem. And what you begin to see many times is how God uses men and women just like you and begins to triumph regardless of the circumstance. In fact, this is very interesting. It says this, after the death of who? The death of Moses. By the way, did you know in three times in scripture... Okay, You had a transition of leadership that took place at the Jordan. Moses to Joshua, Elijah to Elisha, and John the Baptist to Jesus all took place at the Jordan River. And what the Jordan River, uh, Jordan River represented, it represented a symbolic um, a time of transition and transformation, not just of leadership, but for Israel itself. And so Joshua begins with this transitioning happening at the most inconvenient time, at the time when it would have been like, man, we really need Moses. All of a sudden, he's gone. And you can just imagine the children of Israel. Why, why, did Moses, why wasn't Moses allowed into the Holy Land? Because of what? Because of sin. Now just think about it. This was the guy who would intercede for Israel. And if he was now judged, what hope was there for Israel? So you can imagine the uncertainty that was part of this whole context. In the very first verse of Joshua chapter 1, it says this, After the death of Moses, the servant of the who? This is very interesting. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to who? Joshua. This is very interesting. Don't miss this point. Joshua, the son of who? None. Moses is what? Notice this. I want you to notice this. There's almost this emphasis in Scripture. It says this. After the death of Moses, the who? The servant of who? Of the Lord. It came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun. Moses is what? Assistant. 
And this is, we're going to come right back to this point, and it's going to be very powerful. Notice what God says to Joshua during this time of uncertainty, a time of fear. You can imagine Joshua was worried for this very moment of time. Moses, my what? Servant is what? Dead. Now therefore arise, go over this what? Jordan, right? You and all these people to the land which I am giving to them, the children of Israel. Joshua does not start off known to be known as the servant of the Lord. In fact, he's known as who? Moses is what? Assistant. He's not called the servant of the Lord in the beginning. He's called Moses' assistant. And by the way, ladies and gentlemen, think about this, okay? Moses even had children. Did you know Moses' children did not succeed Moses in the leadership of Israel? It did not happen. God was the one who chose the next leader of Israel. And do you know who it was? Does the Bible say in the first five books that Joshua was a leadership guru? Does it say he trained under John Maxwell? Does it say he was the leader of some kind of corporation? What does it say about Joshua's leadership experience? All the scripture says about Joshua is that he was the assistant of who? Ladies and gentlemen, notice this. God's, um, God's uh, you could say, God's um, choice in choosing the very next leader of Israel was not found in somebody who apparently displayed leadership scales right away, but what they displayed was faithfulness. Faithfulness in what? The little things. You know, when we're faithful in the little things, God will give us opportunity for bigger things or bigger responsibilities. The Bible just says about Joshua, he was simply the assistant of Moses. And by the way, what was Elisha's profession before he was called to be the prophet of God for Israel? What does it say about what he was doing? He was doing farming. That's all he was doing. He was farming. And because he was faithful in that farming, and by the way, there's two characteristics. It's not just faithfulness and consistency. It's actually a love for the Lord. But God picked these men and women who apparently from all external appearances did not look like the next leader of Israel. The Bible talks about Daniel. Daniel was not called to greatness. You know what he was called to? He was called to a life of faithfulness. And because of his faithfulness, the natural effect of that faithfulness led to greatness. Can you say amen to that? Notice what Joshua chapter 1 says next. Let's say with this passage. Verse 3. Every place that the sole of your feet will tread upon, I have given to you as I have what? Said to who? Moses, let's continue. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, the great sea towards the going down of the sun, shall be your what? Territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not what? Leave you nor what? Forsake you. This is such a beautiful point. Notice what God tells to Joshua. He tells Joshua something very interesting. He says, Joshua, I want you to go and take this land. I've already given it to you. By the way, who was actually in the land of Canaan at that time? The Canaanites were there. The Hittites were there. There were other kinds of tribes that were there that were not connected to Israel, right? But notice what God says. I've already given you this land. 
Now, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to ask a big question. If they had not gone into that land yet, why in the world would God be telling them, I've already given you this land? Getting closer. Now it's time for intensity. Why would He be telling them, I'm giving you this land, when they had not already gone into the land yet? Okay? Anybody else? Okay? Okay? Anybody else? Why did he tell them, I've already given you this land, when they had not taken the land yet? Elias? Okay, very good. All right answers. But here's the most important point of this. Do you know what God wanted Israel's spirit to be when they were going into the Holy Land? Victory. In other words, he wanted the children of Israel to have this spirit of victory. That victory was already given to them. You know, I read something very beautiful from the pen of inspiration. Look what it says right here. Take the word of Christ as your what? Assurance. He has not invited you. Has he not invited you to come to him? Never allow yourself to talk in a what? Hopeless, discouraged what? Way. If you do, you will lose much. It doesn't say, she's not saying don't be vulnerable. There are times to be vulnerable and open, honest, and real with people. But overall, she says this, if you do, you will lose much by looking at appearances and what? Let's say that word a little louder. And what? And complaining, notice this, when difficulties and pressures come, you give evidence of a sickly, enfeebled faith. We go on. Talk and act if your faith was what? Invincible. Now that sounds presumptuous, does it? No, it does not. Presumption is when you're depending upon yourself for the results. Faith is when you're depending upon God for those results. Notice what she says right here. Talk and act as if your faith was what? Invincible. I remember one time I had a friend and I said, Hey friend, I need you to pray for me. And he was like, Okay, I'll pray for you. And as he was praying for me, it was the most miserable, depressing prayer somebody ever prayed for me. He was sharing his own struggles while he was praying for me. It was something like this. Dear God, please bless Anel. He's going through a rough time right now, just like me. I'm struggling right now even to understand the promises of God. I'm struggling to trust that you're going to even do this for me. And I stopped him. I actually said, what are you doing? You're supposed to be praying for me. Ladies and gentlemen, I want you to understand something. We need to talk and act if our faith was what? Talk and act if your faith is what? Invincible. In other words, believing that God is going to give victory. Doesn't mean the circumstances will always work out in your favor. But what you can be assured of is that blessings will come to you and you will be victorious on many different levels. Ladies and gentlemen, we don't need discouragement and defeat to be the war cry of God's people. And I just want to speak very boldly right now. 
you know, I was having a good talk with um, a good conference guy. And we're both wondering about this. We're wondering about the generation that has come after us. I'm wondering, where are these spiritual powerhouses? Where are these young people who are ready to take up the reins? People who are excited about the Lord. What we're finding is a defeated generation. Ladies and gentlemen, God was telling Israel, I want you to know, I've given you that land. So when they marched into the Holy Land, they were not to march as a defeated people, but already a victorious people. Can you say amen to that? God wants us to have a faith that is invincible. Amen. Look at the rest of this. The Lord is rich in what? Resources. He owns the world. Look heavenward in faith. Look to Him who has light and power and efficiency. There is in genuine faith a what? Buoyancy. Can you say that word for me? Buoyancy. Do you know what buoyancy is? Who knows what buoyancy is? What's buoyancy? Buoyancy, <laughs> okay. Jan, what's buoyancy? That's right. Have you ever taken a basketball? You've taken that basketball, you bring it down, down, down into the water, and what happens? Yeah, if you release it, it's going to smack you going up, right? But that basketball has buoyancy. A, a boat has buoyancy. In other words, it has an unsinkable element to itself. You know what she is saying right here? She is saying there needs to be in faith buoyancy. That when it's pushed down and pressed down, you know what it does? It reacts by going even further up. Can you say amen to that? A steadfastness of principle and a fixedness of purpose that neither time nor toil can what? Awaken. Or weaken, excuse me. Can weaken. Can weaken. Let's continue with this. All right, Joshua chapter 1. Here we go. Verse 6, be strong and of good courage, for to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give to them. Notice verse 7, only be strong. By the way, do you know God says to Joshua multiple times in Joshua chapter 1 and other chapters, be strong and of good courage, be strong and of good courage, be strong and of good courage. Ladies and gentlemen, if God is having to repeat something over and over again to Joshua, what is it revealing to us about Joshua's experience at that moment. If God has to say to him, by the way, be strong and good courage. Later on, by the way, be strong and good courage. Later on, by the way, be strong and good courage. Later on, by the way, be strong and good courage. By the way, be strong and of good courage. What is it indicating about Joshua's spirit during this time of uncertainty? There was some deep concern in Joshua's heart. You can imagine the uncertainty. But here's the thing. He was uncertain, but he was not insecure. And there is a big difference. Uncertainty still implies there can be a dependency upon God. Insecurity implies that you don't believe God can even do it. And so what God was communicating to Joshua over and over again, He's like, be strong, I want you to be strong, I want you to be strong. During this inconvenient time. Ladies and gentlemen, there may be an inconvenient time for you. You may be going through a time of transition and you're wondering to yourself, how could this even be of God? I want to let you know today, when you read Joshua chapter 1, you will find that your experience can be that of Joshua's. One of faith, hope, and encouragement. Amen. 
going through a rough time right now, going through a time that you're not able to have control, that's the time to say, okay, Lord, I don't know what you're up to. I don't know what you're planning, but I am choosing to trust in you. I want to have a faith that has what? Buoyancy. Let's continue. Joshua chapter 1. Verse 7, some more leadership advice to Joshua. Only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according to all the what? The law which Moses, now pay attention to this, which Moses my what? Notice this, God is referring to Moses in previous parts of this passage, but in this particular passage he says, look, do the law that I commanded Moses my what? Servant. There is intention, there is an intentionality by God, almost an underscoring of what God is saying about Moses in this particular circumstance. Don't miss it, I want to read it one more time. Only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according to the law which Moses, my what? Servant. Which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn away from the right hand or the left that you may prosper wherever you go. Ladies and gentlemen, I want you guys to understand something. The reason why God is emphasizing Moses, my servant, at this particular moment is because he's wanting Joshua to understand something. And that is this. Those who do the law of God are the servants of God. Those who do the law of God are the servants of God. The Bible says in 1 John, this is the will of God that we keep His commandments and that His commandments are not grievous to us. Ladies and gentlemen, if you say, I want to follow the Lord, then keep His commandments. Amen. God wants you to follow Him. And so what He is saying to Joshua, He was saying, look, you want to be like Moses, my servant? Almost in a sense calling Joshua up to that high standard. He's like, do what Moses did. Follow the law. And watch how God tells him how he can follow the law. Let's continue. Verse 8. This book of the what? Law shall not depart from your mouth. You shall meditate on it what? Day and night. Notice this. That you may what? Observe to do according to all that is written in it. Notice what he says right here. He says meditate on the book of the law that you may keep the law. Meditate on the book of the law that you may what? Keep the law. Notice what he says next. That you may observe to do according to all that is written. And notice the next part right here is the effect. For then you will make your way what? Prosperous. You want to be prosperous, ladies and gentlemen, in your career, in your family, in your school, in your education, in your life. You know what the Bible is saying? Meditate upon the book of the law. By the way, at this time there were only five books of Moses that were written. You have the entirety of Scripture now. And God says right here, For then you will make your way prosperous, and you will have good what? How many people want success in their lives? Raise your hand. I mean, 99 times out of 100, we're going to raise our hands and say, Of course we want success. I mean, there's one person who doesn't want it. I mean, I don't understand why. But either way, here's the thing, ladies and gentlemen. God is saying, you want success. Guess what? God wants to give it to you. But he says the principle for obtaining success lies when you take the word of God and you say, God, I want to meditate upon. Now, here's the thing that's so interesting. Meditating upon the book of law is more than just simply making sure you read your Bible. The word meditating implies a kind of taking time to think, to meditate, to cogitate, to converse about the things of the Lord. You know, I would read the scriptures... 
And I would prayerfully meditate upon them in the morning. Then at night, I would just say, before I go to sleep, I'm going to read something in the Bible. But what I began to realize is God was wanting me to take, take, take me to a deeper experience. And so what I began to say, I say, Lord, you want me to meditate upon the Word of God? You've got to teach me. And so all of a sudden, I began to have conversations with people about the Word of God. I began to pray using the Word of God. I would take time to listen to beautiful music and I would think and meditate upon it. Ladies and gentlemen, I started copying Ed Holm. You guys know who Ed Holm is? Ed, can you raise your hand? I'm always speaking on Ed Holm right now. Ed said something about he's been prayer walking. He's been going for a walk and praying with his wife. And he says, it's just been a wonderful time. They've been praying for you guys, praying for our church, praying for their family. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to copy him. And so I started prayer walking. I started taking a walk. All prayer walking is just taking a walk and just talking to the Lord. And I'm praying for people, praying for the various study groups that I have, praying just for the ministry, praying for my family. And by the time I'm done with that prayer walk, ladies and gentlemen, let me tell you something, I feel cleansed. I feel connected to the Lord. I'm learning to have a relationship with the Lord. Not just something that's um, isolated just through the evening or the morning, but something that where there is a daily walking with Jesus. Amen? And the benefit, you can't beat this benefit. I'm losing weight too. Praise the Lord. Amen? I was 191 today. I was 202 three weeks ago. Walking with the Lord gives you benefits, right? You lose some of that sinful weight, you lose also that physical weight. Walking with Jesus. Meditating upon the book of the law. By the way, take your Bible. Let's go to Psalms chapter 1. I want you to see something. Very interesting right here. Psalms chapter 1. Psalms is a book of prayers. I recommend reading at least two Psalms every single day. In fact, I start off my devotions like that reading two Psalms. Because these are prayers to God. Psalms chapter 1. Psalms chapter 1. We want God to give us success. We want to make our way prosperous. God is showing us how. Psalms chapter 1. If you're there, please say amen. Notice what the Bible says right here. Blessed is a man, we can add woman. Blessed is a man and woman who walks not in the counsel of the what? Ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the what? Scornful. Notice verse 2. But his delight is in the what? Law of the what? Lord. Okay, notice this. When you read the Ten Commandments, do you think to yourself, I just feel like I'm delighting in the Lord right now. Do you feel like that? Ladies and gentlemen, when you're looking at the Ten Commandments, are you thinking to yourself, man, I just I feel so great right now. When you're reading the Ten Commandments, what's generally the feeling that can come about that? I'll just be honest. You feel like a sinner. And rightly so. The law condemns it's its purpose but how in the world could you delight yourself in the law of god ladies and gentlemen you ever read the, the gospels and you find when you read the gospels many times the disciples in the epistles are quoting from the new testament or the old testament and you know what they're doing every time they quote from the new old testament they're connecting it to jesus and then you're like, when I look at the Old Testament, I look at the context, I don't know how in the world they could extrapolate that and find this prophetic uh, picture of Jesus, but the Spirit of God does lead in that. And here's the reason why, ladies and gentlemen, is because when the Spirit of the Lord came upon the disciples, the veil was removed and they could see Jesus in the Old Testament. 
Even David, when you read Psalms 40, begin to recognize the Messiah in the Old Testament. The reason why atheists, they look at the Old Testament, New Testament and say that's two different gods is because Jesus is so far removed from the picture. And yet when you look at the other side of the spectrum, these disciples are seeing Jesus in every single verse of the Old Testament is because the Spirit of the Lord was upon them. I really want to challenge you, when it comes to meditating upon the law, Lord, that you will say, Lord, show me Jesus in this. Show me Jesus in the law. Show me Jesus in the sanctuary. Show me Jesus in the uh, book of Genesis, in the book of Leviticus. And you will begin to see Jesus. And like David, you'll say, I'm delighting in the law of the Lord. Amen. Let's continue. Winding down. Verse 2, one more time. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. He delights in his law. He meditates what? That's very similar to Joshua chapter 1. Let's continue. Notice the effect. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in what? In its season. Now notice this next part. Whose leaf also does not wither and whatever he does, what? Prospers. Ladies and gentlemen, the writer of Psalms, what was he obviously reading? Joshua chapter 1. He was reading Joshua chapter 1. And so he says, you want to know the best kind of prayer you can have? Right from the very beginning, the best song you can have? He's like, look, spend time meditating upon the law of the Lord, upon the goodness of God, the character of God in the scriptures. And all of a sudden, the Bible will begin to have a beautiful appeal to you. God wants you to start seeing Jesus. And when you see Jesus, you're going to start seeing beauty. And you'll crave spiritual food. Can you say amen to that? How many people say, I want to love the scriptures more and more. I really want to challenge you. Start praying. Show me Jesus. Show me Jesus and you will see Jesus. Let's get down to our last point. Let's continue reading. All right, looks like the AV team really wants this to be my last point. All right, we're going to Joshua chapter 1. Let's go back to Joshua chapter 1. Joshua chapter 1. Go to verse 10. Then Joshua commanded the people, or commanded the officers of the people, saying, Pass through the camp. Command the people, saying, Prepare provisions for yourselves, for within three days you will cross over the what? And Jordan. What did we say about the Jordan? That it represents a what? A time of what? Transition. Let's continue with this. Cross over the Jordan for to go in to possess the land which the Lord your God has given you to possess. And notice what he says in verse 12. And to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and half the tribe of Manasseh, Joshua spoke, saying, this is key. You got to pay attention to this. Here it is. Remember the word which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, the Lord your God has given you the rest, given you rest, and has given you this land. This was before they crossed the Jordan, on the other side of the promised land. He was saying, you have some territory here. The Reubenites, the half the tribe of Manasseh and the Gadites. And then he says this, Your wives, your little ones, and your livestock shall remain in the land which Moses gave you on this side of the Jordan. But you shall pass before your brethren armed, all the mighty men of valor, and help them until the Lord has given your brethren rest as he gave you. And they shall take possession of the land which the Lord your God has given them. Then you shall return to the land which of your possession. 
and enjoy it. For the which Moses, the servant of the Mo, of servant of the Lord, gave you on the side of the Jordan towards the sunrise. This is very important because what God was telling these few tribes that were still on this side of the Jordan, He was saying to them, "Look, the work is not done. God has given you rest. You have your inheritance, but you need to still go and help your brethren who are on the other side of the river, who are going to be on their side of the river, and begin this massive war." This is extremely important for us to understand. Do you know we have a church plan in Patterson? You know that, right? And you understand that we're going to be doing some evangelism over there starting in a couple weeks. We're going to be doing a big old health expo the week after. I'll be preaching a prophecy seminar. But this is the time for the people of God to combine and say, we're coming over this river because we want to help you. And by the way, when you read Joshua chapter 22, verse 7, it says that when the people returned after the land had rest, they came back to their own land on the other side of the river with great riches and great possessions. God is doing some awesome things in the Patterson area. And that's about 30 minutes away from us. Most of us don't even live in that area, on that side. But God is still calling us to assist in this evangelism. Even if you can dedicate one day or two days, God is calling us to be part of what's going to take place there. In fact, there was a big old um, warning given that if these brethren, these tribes, did not go over to help their brethren, that they would be under a curse. Ladies and gentlemen, the Patterson church plant is part of this church. Amen. And God is growing that church, but we need help. And God wants us to be able to share some of these resources and help to volunteer and say, where can I be involved? You know, what's very interesting is, let me tell you something, the land of Patterson has good fruit. You're saying good fruit, what do you mean by that? Two weeks from now, we're going to be having or baptizing our first Patterson family. Can you say amen to that? And they're Filipinos. You know what that means, right? Filipino food, praise the Lord, right? <laughs> but the fruit is good. Ladies and gentlemen, think about these kids. You know what kids mean? That means that more kids can be part of our Adventist education right over here, CVCA. God is calling us to assist and to pass over the river with them and to help them in this. God has given us this land and He's calling us to be part of that and to invest. So until that is set up, we are called to be in this state of agitation, this state of, of working and of activity until the work is finished. Can you say amen to that? And when they return, they returned with great riches and possessions. Blessings came to them. Amen? And the last verse of our sermon is found in the very last chapter of Joshua. Notice what it says when Joshua dies. It came to pass after these things that Joshua, the what? Son of none. Now, what's that last phrase? The servant of who? The servant of who? In the beginning, he was called who? He was called the servant of Moses, right? You see, this ministry that he was a part of, this transition, God was actually preparing him and leading him and developing him to become a servant of the Lord. Started off as simply the assistant of Moses, 
But because of his faithfulness to God, because he was willing to make those sacrifices, because he was willing to put the interests of Israel before his own interests, he grew into the servant of the Lord. Joshua chapter 1 begins with God speaking to Joshua and saying to him, Moses, my servant is dead. And Joshua ends with the scripture telling us that Joshua, the servant of the Lord, died. Our time here, our experiences, our ministry, the challenges that we have that try our faith are all designed with one powerful purpose. To make us into the people of God. To restore in man the image of God that was lost through sin. To grant to us that favor that heaven has for God's people. How many people want to be like Joshua today by the raisins? And I want to be like that. I want to have my own individual faith, but I want to do what God said to Joshua. Amen. God wants to bless you today. Amen. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. I'm going to invite the PUC uh, music team up, and they're going to share one more beautiful piece with us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Thank you so much for the book of Joshua, the life of a man who started off as simply an assistant to Moses, but became the servant of the Lord. God, we want to be open to your leadership. We want to trust in you with a, an invincible faith, knowing that you will work all things out for good for our behalf. Dear Jesus, we pray that you would work within our own individuality and that you would be glorified through our lives. Help us to be faithful to your calling. Thank you for the beautiful Sabbath. And this time, in Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.